Welcome to Friday's episode of Double Stint at Lama, Sports Car 365's daily podcast from Circuit de la Sarthe. I'm John DeGuis, joined by Daniel Lloyd for the final edition of our special week-long episodes here at Lama. How's it going, Dan? Yeah, great, thanks, John. We've had a really busy Friday today, lots of announcements, the annual ACO press conference, which always uh, brings us lots of interesting new information, um, car reveals as well. Uh, it's been a really busy day, but yeah, looking forward to delving into it. Yeah, on today's episode, we're going to recap all of the announcements that happened today at the track, uh, and there were a lot of them. You can check out everything on sportscar365.com, of course, but but we'll have some further insight into everything today. Also, um, we'll try to preview the 100th anniversary, 24 Hours of Le Mans, and make our predictions for the race, which is going to be a bit tough, I think, considering what we've seen. Maybe not as tough in some categories than others, but we'll see how it goes. First off, as Dan mentioned we had the ACO press conference happens every year usually on the Friday the day before the the big endurance race had confirmation of several things including the 2024 WEC calendar the removal of the LMP2 class from the WEC beginning next year as well as um, confirmation of the LMGT3 makeup for its new class beginning in 2024. Yeah, lots of things to go through, um, lots of things covered in, in a pretty swift press conference um, o- over in the stadium within the circuit. Um, I, I suppose we'll start with the, the, the first one that you mentioned there, the calendar. Um, we're going to see Cota and Interlagos return to the schedule. Um, the FIA World Endurance Championship uh, obviously had a restricted calendar during the coronavirus pandemic, went down to six rounds, and they've been gradually building that back up over the last couple of years. Um, they're up to eight races now, so we see Cota in Interlagos return. Uh, Interlagos will come before Cota. Um, It's been a decade since we last had the championship in Brazil and uh, uh, WEC CEO Frederic Lequian highlighted the importance of expanding the world championship um, into other territories. South America being added to the schedule which is an exciting step. Um, Cota of course replaces Sebring as the North American uh, round. Uh, Sebring was previously on a shared bill with the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. That's not a thing uh, next year. There will be one date clash with the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, notably with the six hours of Imola. Um, that replaces the six hours of Monza and is set to clash with the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. Um, so lots of things going on there. Interesting looking calendar, John. Um, it, it, it seems to be that the WC sort of returning to normal, I guess. Yeah, and we have a new venue as well that was announced previously with Qatar. Um, it's going to be a 1,812 kilometer race in honor of their national day um, in 1812. So um, that'll be a maximum of 10 hours. And it's interesting to note that this race was initially announced as a six-hour race to open the season, um, but they've made the change to that format. Um, ultimately, that, that'll kick off the season on March 2nd. Then we have the six hours of Imola, as Dan mentioned, on April 21st, six hours of Spa on May 11th, 24 hours of Le Mans on June 15th to 16th, six hours of Sao Paulo on July 14th, um, which is quite interesting because it's not that far away from Le Mans, so presumably they're going to have to air freight their car, air freight the cars there. Um, September 1st, Lone Star Le Mans at Coda. Then September 15th, only two weeks later, is the six hours of Fuji. Another opportunity I think they're going to have to um, use air freight to, to get the cars to Japan. Then closing out the season in early November at the eight hours of Bahrain. Um, ultimately, I, I think no huge surprise. Imola, Imola was probably the only one that sort of 
came as a bit of a surprise in, in a replacement to Monza. I spoke to ACO President Pierre Fion, and he confirmed that there was there's some construction work at Monza planned for next year, and that was one of the reasons why they decided to make the shift to Imola. Um, he indicated that there is likely a multi-year deal with the Imola circuit, um, although we believe it's probably one year uh, confirmed and then with an option to continue, so we'll have to sort of watch that space. But um, all in all, a, a solid calendar for 2024 um, and, and looking forward to uh, getting everything kicked off in, in March of next year. Actually, a little before with the prologue being at Qatar the, on the week of February 24th and 25th. Moving on, we had um, really quick notes during the presentation about uh, LMP2 and LMGT3. Um, we were able to glean a little bit more out of the executives um, following the press conference on the future of LMP2. Um, obviously, that's gone from the WEC following this season, but it will remain part of the 24 Hours of Le Mans with a minimum of 15 cars, um, mainly consisting of European Le Mans series entrants there. Um, but LMGT3 is quite interesting because we had confirmation that there will only be two cars per manufacturer and from what we believe is that hypercar manufacturers that have GT3 cars will be given priority. Yeah so essentially if you're a hypercar manufacturer and you've got a GT3 car and, and you want to have teams running it in the FIA World Endurance Championship and, La, and at Le Mans um, if, if you request to enter it then there's no reason why you'll be refused is basically the line that they're going with at the moment. I suppose that still raises the question of where some other manufacturers would be, the likes of uh, Ford, McLaren, uh, Audi, Mercedes, AMG, obviously some big players in the GT3 game. Um, but I think there will still be some space, just sort of doing the quick mental maths, there will be some space for some of those to still be on the grid. Um, I think it's a logical choice. Having two cars per manufacturer um, enables there to be as many manufacturers on the grid as possible. And of course, GT3 is become well known for having such manufacturer diversity and I think by limiting it to two cars per manufacturer means that we can get as much of that diversity as possible which um, is surely a good thing. Yeah and, and um, Pierre Fion told me that they're, they're looking between six and eight different manufacturers on the grid so if you look at what the situation is right now I think there's six hypercar manufacturers that have uh, GT3 cars, that's including Corvette if you count that with Cadillac. So, um, you know, at the bare minimum, it could be just those. Um, we'll have to see if others, like Dan mentioned, um, would get into the field, but uh, we'll, we'll get more clarity on that, I think, in, in the, the, during the fall, basically, as, as the ACO and FIA work with, the um, work with the WEC Selection Committee to figure everything out for this Pro-Am class, which we also got confirmed will retain the same driver rating requirements as GTE-AM, with one bronze, um, either a bronze or a silver, and then a uh, open classification for the third car, third driver, which is usually a, a platinum or, or gold-rated driver. During the ACO press conference, we had a car unveil um, done remotely from the Hydrogen Village. This is the Toyota GRH2 racing concept um, that was taken, the wraps were taken off of the car in the Hydrogen Village at Le Mans. Um, it, there was a presentation during the ACO press conference by uh, Toyota chairman Akio Toyota, um, and he will actually be the driver behind the wheel as it does a parade lap of Circuit de la Sarthe in the build-up to the race tomorrow. Yeah, it's... Um, it potentially really significant moment to see a, a, such a major car manufacturer put um, 
such a significant statement out with regards in particular to the WEC's plans for hydrogen and, and Le Mans plans for hydrogen technology. Um, the the concept car looks great. It looks like it's a, on, on, on the face of it, it looks like a proper race car, doesn't it? Um, and the, the the idea, I think, is, is to sort of show, um, show the technology, show that Toyota as well as a company is, is, is willing to push forward with this technology at the highest levels of motorsport. Let's not forget already that Toyota has run hydrogen-powered cars in the 24 hours of Fuji, um, with with even the chairman, Mr. Toyota himself, behind the wheel. Um, so it's very much invested in this. Um, in a statement, though, today, Toyota did say that the recent opening of the regulations to cover two different types of hydrogen powertrain, both the um, internal combustion engine and uh, fuel cell technology, uh, th that was sort of a, uh, a catalyst for them unveiling this concept car, which is quite interesting. And they've gone for the former option, the, the hydrogen uh, converted engine. Um, so it'd be really interesting to see um, how things develop with Toyota. They've obviously been at the forefront of the LMH platform as well, an early adopter of that. So um, yeah, really exciting to see them uh, shooting for hydrogen here. We had two other car unveils over the course of the day. Um, the first was Alpine, with their A424 Beta LMDH car, it's a bit hard to get get right. Um, we we've used the word we've used the letter B, but it's actually Beta um, it, with with its the, the, with its symbol there. Um, obviously, this is the first LMDH car to come from a uh, a manufacturer that's focused with a factory program in in the WEC first and foremost. Um, we have the other LMDH cars that are, compete in the WeatherTech Championship. Um, this car could still compete potentially in WeatherTech possibly, with, uh, but that's a whole nother story. Nonetheless, um, lots of excitement there with the unveil of this Orica chassis uh, prototype, Dan. Yep, um, it, it, I think it looks really good. Um, it, it's, the, it's, it's a program that's been in the making for quite a long time, actually. We, we had it first announced, I think, back in October 2021, so we're, we're heading, heading to towards two years of this project um, being a thing before the, the car itself was actually revealed. So um, first tests of the car are yet to take place. Uh, the plan is for the um, initial engine fire-up to occur later this month. Uh, sorry, uh, the car fire-up with the engine in it. The engine's been on the dyno already for six months. Um, but the first testing, the first shakedown, probably taking place in July at some point. Um, and then they'll uh, head through with a, a testing program towards the end of the year, shooting towards that. Um, homologation to be ready for the start of the season in Qatar. Um, obviously the season's starting slightly earlier as well so it makes the timeline a bit more aggressive and added to that um, Signatech, the factory hypercar team and Alpine are also competing in the WEC with two LMP2 cars this year. Um, Philippe Sino, the team principal, telling us that the uh, hypercar testing team will involve the, the people in that team with a few extras from Alpine. So it's going to be a busy few months for those guys. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, um, later in the day, we had Ford uh, formally unveil its Mustang GT3. We've seen it testing at Sebring. We've seen a lot of videos and some teasers over the last few months, and it didn't really come as a huge surprise to see the, the shape and the look of this um, car based on the Dark Horse Mustang. Um, but certainly a, a pretty striking livery designed by Troy Lee, 
Troy Lee Designs and um, confirmation, most importantly, of their first customer. Yeah, Proton Competition, the um, longtime Porsche team uh, going for a, a, a customer effort with the Ford Mustang GT3. Interesting move. We'd sort of heard, heard some um, rumors of it perhaps earlier in the season, and Christian Reed had even sort of acknowledged those rumors at one of the earlier WEC rounds. But um, yeah, they're, they're sort of entering a bit of a new era, um, not only with the Ford, but also being uh, in hypercar with a customer Porsche 963. So some real interesting expansion going on at Proton. Um, the, the idea is for Proton to run the car in the FI World Endurance Championship. We're sort of yet to have it fully confirmed exactly where else they might go, whether they'll do ELMS or anything else um, with the car. But um, yeah, certainly a strong team to be uh, representing Ford as a customer on this side of the Atlantic. Obviously, things will be a bit different over in IMSA. Yeah, that's for sure. We also had some other news throughout the day. You can check out all the stories on Sports Car 365, including uh, news that United Autosports will move to the IMSA WeatherTech Championship full-time with a pair of LMP2 cars with, with its uh, WEC squad. Neil Johnny completes Proton's uh, Proton Competition's lineup for the hypercar entry for the remainder of the WEC season, starting at Monza. And also, Sepang returns in an expanded five-round Asian Le Mans Series calendar that will visit Southeast Asia for the first time since the pandemic. You can find all those stories and more on Sports Car 365. Finally, Dan, let's get to predictions for the race. It's hard to believe that just in about 24 hours from now, from this recording, we're going to have the drop of the tricolor and the 100th anniversary centenary edition of the Lama will be getting underway. Um, we saw all the buildup in, into this race. We've, we've seen the practice sessions qualifying hyperpole, and the race is finally upon us. Who would be your pick for uh, the hypercar class going into the race? I mean, this this was perhaps a, a bit easier a few years ago um, when we had fewer entrants, but um, with the expansion of the hypercar class, there are um, so many more competitors there. Ferrari would be the obvious choice because they locked out the front row of the grid in qualifying, but I'm still thinking that you can't... Uh, ignore the experience of Toyota Gazoo racing um, going for a sixth consecutive victory in the race the competition has really hotted up for them this year um, I think they've been feeling the pressure as well with the earlier BOP changes um, but nonetheless I still think in terms of race operation you can't really get much better than Toyota so I, I, I even though it would be you know there's some romance of Ferrari coming back to the top class after half a century um, it would be you know, equally exciting if an LMDH car such as a Cadillac or a Porsche came through in one, but um, I might just put my sensible hat on and say one of the Toyotas. Well, I'll, I'll go for a bit of a bolder move and, and predict that Ferrari will win in, in its return to the 24 Hours of Le Mans for, for the first time in 50 years with a factory prototype. Those cars have been quick all week long. Um, I was extremely impressed by their speed and hyperpole, and it, it seems like that can translate to some pretty decent pace over the course of a stint. We'll have to wait and see how it all develops. Um, there's a rain in the forecast for the beginning of the race. That's going to throw up some, some variables there for sure. But at the end of the day, I, I, I honestly think that this, this could be the game changer in terms of breaking Toyota's uh, win streak here at Le Mans. And, and I, think to I think Ferrari is in the best position going into that out of the, all of the, the rival hypercar manufacturers. Porsche and Cadillac have shown really good pace here as well. They've done, I think, probably a better job than I would have expected in their first appearance with their cars here. Um, but we all knew Ferrari was going to come in with a very strong package, and they've really showcased it so far. Um, what about LMP2 and, and GTE-AM? 
Um, LMP2 is always a tough one because the cars are the same and, and these teams are so well used to running them. Um, the number 28 Jota has been near the top of the time charts for a lot of the sessions. It all will depend though on, on how silver-rated driver Dana, David Heinemeyer Hansen does, um, although that's the case for all the drivers, um, all of the silver-rated drivers in here. I'm, I'm probably going to pick, I think, the number 47 cool racing car, um, one, one of our competitors from the European Le Mans series, Simon Paginot, um, leading the lineup. Uh, there with his experience but also Reshad De Gerus has been really quick the young Frenchman have been quite impressed with him he did well in Hyperpole uh, and Vladislav Lomko the silver-rated driver as well um, I, I, I just sort of I, I just sort of trust cool racing I think they seem to be um, a, a really strong outfit here at Le Mans and um, yeah I quite like the look of that lineup. Well I'm going to go with the Jota car of the 28 they've basically been atop the timesheets in most every session except Hyperpole um, I, I think DHH is going to do a decent job in the car. Obviously a true gentleman driver, um, although he has a lot of pace for sure. So um, that'd be my pick for LMP2. In terms of GTE Am, I'm going to go with Corvette Racing. Final appearance as a, as a factory team at Le Mans, as, as far as we know, um, given the regulation change for next year with LMGT3. Ben Keating's been a man on the mission the entire weekend. He's been extremely impressive, um, getting pulled by over a second and a half. Nico Verone and, and Nikki Katzberg have shown their strength throughout the WEC season, and, and I think what other better way for, for that team and, and manufacturer to go out on top um, having not won this race in quite some time. Yeah, there are lots of decent lineups in GTM, but I really think Corvette have sort of been the, the, the stars of the show so far, um, especially having come back from that accident for Nico Verone at Turt Rouge in one of the practice sessions. Um, I'm No doubt that was an excellent bonding exercise for the team and they're really motivated to come back um, and deliver that victory that, that would only enhance their already huge FIA World Endurance Championship lead. Um, I think there are some other strong lineups there and maybe the new safety car rule with the wave by could help to keep some other cars in contention. ORT by TF looks pretty strong, I think. Um, but at the end of the day, Corvette Racing is the one that I think everyone is looking up to. Well, we'll find out if our predictions are correct in, in just a few days' time and uh, looking forward to seeing what will develop with this centenary edition of the 24 Hours of Le Mans. That's it for today's episode. Um, we'll be back to regularly schedule, scheduled programming next week with our regular double stint um, next Tuesday that'll be breaking down this race and more. For Dan, I'm John. Keep it tuned to Sports Car 365, and we'll talk to you next week.